listening to the OK's Fisher Podcast, part of the OK's Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Hey there, welcome back to the OK's Fisher Podcast, coming at you from the OK's Fisher Podcast studio, also known it, as... AKA Air Basements. Yeah. How we doing, Matt? Oh, we're surviving. A little uh, smoky up here, but... Yeah, man, it's uh, it's not doing us any favors down here either. Um, it's just, uh, it is what it is. We'll get through it once we get some wind and hopefully some rain to push this along, and uh, we'll be back to clear blue skies once again. Yep, chasing some fish. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> well, we can uh, we can jump right into it here. Uh, Today with us, we have the director of Native Fish for Tomorrow, Mr. Tyler Winter, a.k.a. the Buffalo Chaser. How are we doing, Tyler? Um, well, I'm, I wish I was chasing buffalo. <laughs> Catching buffalo. It's all right. Blame, yeah. blame us. It's all good. That's okay. I, I fished all weekend and, uh, yeah, Monday too. And so uh, I'm getting by. Uh, and... Uh, it's a great time to be, uh, raising awareness about, about our native fish, uh, formerly known as rough fish. Um, the, uh, you know, there's a lot happening in Minnesota and around the country. Um, and so it's, this is a great time to be doing, uh, doing this. We've got, um, some changes, not as dramatic as maybe people, uh, might think, but, um, we're, we're on the, the road towards having some, um, sort of, coherent maybe science-based management coming to minnesota that's great um you know we're obviously not in minnesota we're in wisconsin right next door just across the river uh you know our definition is probably much the same of what your definition is if we read it verbatim right out of page 21 of the the wisconsin fishing regulations Mm -hmm. fish includes suckers unless listed as threatened or endangered common carp invasive carp, goldfish, freshwater drum, burbot, bowfin, gar, sea lamprey, alewife, gizzard shad, rainbow smelt, and moon eye. Mm-hmm. So, it's very similar to Minnesota's list. Uh, Minnesota's list only includes one invasive fish. Um, and so um, maybe my real claim to fame is actually that I may have been the first person to read the regulations book and the statutes and then the administrative rules and realize that they didn't match. Um, and then was able to like start, <laughs> then I got to be on a fishing show and I caught a Buffalo. Um, and you know, one thing leads to another. Um, but yeah. that's kind of one of the things that, um, we're like working on now is the, you know, we all want as as stakeholders, as anglers, as conservationists. I mean, I think every hunter and angler wants to also be a conservationist, right? We want to keep doing this forever, and so we want scientific based management, right? We want we want sound decisions being made for management. Well, if you have a regulatory category that combines invasive and native fish, you you can't manage those two things the same, like. Like that's, those are two diametrically opposed things and you can't apply the same regulations to invasive and native fish. Um, and that's where the no junk fish bill in Minnesota kind of kicks off. It asks the Minnesota DNR to make a recommendation for separating native and invasive fish in, 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 in law. 
So is this something you had a part of? Yeah, I actually got to testify uh, in favor of of this bill and um, talk to some of the people who helped write it. Um, And because I had read all of the different parts of it and knew that they didn't agree, I was able to help inform that. Um, And so then we came to... Uh, I'm sitting there in the Senate chamber and they're like, which fish is this going to cover? I'm like, well, (laughs) (laughs) on page 12 of our fishing regulations, it says all suckers are rough fish in the statute 97A.015 subdivision 43. It says that suckers, unless they're listed as a, with a conservation chapter in administrative rules, 6134, are rough fish. So then you got to go to 6134 and find out which ones are listed. And then it turns out that blue suckers and uh, black red horse are listed in chapter 6134. But that listing doesn't actually give them any other like regulations. So those fish are actually just orphaned. Um, wow. Really not clear in Minnesota. They're not technically a rough fish. Um, they're definitely not a game fish. Um, they don't have any specific seasons or limits. And so that kind of necessitated a reevaluation, right? Um, and being like, well, you know, do we want to put a fish that is a species and greatest conservation need on the rough list? Um, but if nobody catches them, they're not, are they a game fish? And so that, you know, uh, in the legislature, instead of, um, trying to shoehorn in a a solution they kicked it to the dnr and said you need to write us a report explaining where we're at and where we need to go Hmm. you got to be part lawyer part biologist and very passionate about all of it to really know where it's all going Mm -hmm. and it's really important to have two pieces of very important literature saying the same thing. And when they're not, they contradict each other. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're violating a law or not. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you know, enforce it. And then if you, and this topic is complex, right? Because we're talking about in Minnesota's case, it's 26 native fish are roughly included in this category. There are some of them I have in my freezer right now. Right. Uh, you can harvest shorthead red horse um, and some populations. You definitely can harvest big mouth buffalo. They're a commercial fish. Um, they're good to eat. They're sold for food. Um, you can eat some of those. Um, you can eat a river red horse. They're threatened. <laughs> um, and so as a consumptive conservationist or as a rod and gun conservationist, I want people to go out and catch these fish, um, eat some of them. Uh, and then if maybe have the curiosity that if you run into a red horse, that's really big and uh, you haven't seen one quite like that before. Um, don't call it a carp and maybe let it go. Um, worst case scenario, you, you let go a big native fish, um, take a photo. Um, the, the, the non-game department may actually be interested in seeing that photo if you you know expand their range or document a new occurrence um you know but what i find is is that culturally this this rough category kind of seems to like snuff out a lot of people's curiosity um that as soon as like in minnesota they list carp first and it's like people do not read past that um and they haven't read past that for 100 years and so um 
some of my favorite fishing spots, you can see big mouth. You just see these big mouth buffalo cruising around. And people will tell me that they're grass carp uh, or they're carp or, or something like that. And I'm like, no, actually, that that's a native fish that eats plankton. It's not a bottom feeder. Um, it belongs here, can live to be over 100 years old. Um, it's got all these cool, cool things about it, you know, and uh, I catch them when I catch them. I'll donate them for aging. Well, to age them, you have to get the uh, the ear stones out of their head. Um, so I fillet them first. I don't, I don't want them to go to waste. Um, so I've got a couple of big mouth buffalo and some red horse up in my freezer right now. Um, but to get, you know, people curious about that, when you tell them that this is actually a resource and these are fish you can catch and, you, you know, whatever, um, and you tell them the cultural history of it, then they're like, they're like, whoa, my river is actually pretty neat, pretty cool. And I'm like, yeah, it's actually not polluted. It's not full of invasive species. It's actually a nice place. Um, and so it elevates not just the fish. It actually elevates the way people see the whole ecosystem. And then maybe they stop, you know, throwing their yard waste in the, you know, on the riverbank. Um, and maybe they see opportunities to recreate close to their house so they get to fish more. Right. I mean... A lot of those fish, too, they're not just a food source and a recreational source for people. Um, they're food sources for other fish in the in the food chain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just telling Matt, a, a real good, for instance, is we had suckers in my local lake here. I just talked to my two neighbors. They're in their 70s. They're old guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're from the area mm-hmm. lifelong. And they would tell me that they told me that, when they were kids, they could walk around in the shallows and there'd be suckers swimming all over the place. Mm-hmm. And they would, they loved to ice fish a lot. So when they ice fish, they would, they would catch a lot of walleye and a lot of really nice pike mm-hmm. because there were suckers in this chain. They would, they're in this, in this lake, mm-hmm. they wouldn't catch a lot of panfish and they wouldn't catch a lot of bass, but there was a lot of good sized pike and, and, and walleye in this. Mm-hmm. Lake. Now, there's, I've not seen a single sucker in this lake in the years I've been fishing it. There's plenty of common carp. There's mm-hmm. gar. And uh, we don't have the natural reproduction of walleyes anymore because they don't have a food base. Uh, mm-hmm. The DNR stocks them. There are some small panfish, some little perch and things for the walleyes to feed off of. And then there's all the carp fry that, you know, the gar, mm-hmm. and maybe the walleyes and whatever released pike are getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do, we just don't have it like we used to uh, mm-hmm. for those predatory fish. So when you get rid of certain species, it affects other species. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and suckers especially. Um, they uh, in the spring, if you go to the right spot and you see a gravel bar, they'll be turning over the gravel, spawning. Well, the worst thing for spawning habitat, be, for anything that spawns on gravel, is silt filling up those rock spaces. And then the eggs have nowhere to settle and hide. Now they're just laying on the mud, right? Um, and so the Sonoran sucker, which is down in Arizona, there was a study down there, and they found that the way Sonoran suckers fed down there, they were ecosystem engineers. They were like, these fish are changing the river bottom so much, they're actually making this river, right? We haven't done that research here yet, right? And part of the reason we haven't done that research is because the way like funding works and the way these categories work we have a sport fish restoration fund all the 
I pay a 10% excise tax on all my hooks and rods and stuff that I go to use to fish for suckers. That goes to the Sport Fish Restoration Fund. That funds sport fish. Threatened fish can get funding through the Wildlife Action Plan and the uh, state. While um, There's grant money for that from the feds, right? A lot of these fish fall in the middle where they're big enough to be seen and caught, right? Like these aren't minnows. They, they generally all grow to be about a pound um, or 12, um, depending, or 50 if they're a buffalo. Um, but there hasn't been the research. And so there's a ton of stuff we don't know. I was sitting in a DNR meeting. They had a pamphlet of their best available information. And the the River Red Horse, they had a maximum age listed as 15 years. Um, that's younger than smaller species. Like that's clearly in error. We don't even know how long a river red horse can can live. And, you know, those are threatened in, in Wisconsin. Um, they should they were delisted in Minnesota probably in error. Um and I, I can't find one in Minnesota. Really? <laughs> and uh, actually the population where they're found in Minnesota is the same population as in Wisconsin. Mm. Um it's on the St. Croix drainage. Um we have done, like it's like okay well we need to do an aging study on river red horse i've caught river red horse that were big enough and old enough that they had black age spots on them wow um which is a character associated with fish that are 40 50 years old oh uh, right so 15 is probably not accurate um so there's just a lot of basic research that needs to be done and that's so, you know, you have a harder time getting the funding and you have a hard time getting public support because a lot of people just check out when they, you know, I've spent so much time explaining to people that a buffalo is a fish that I didn't even get to the point that they, I had that I was able to tell them it's actually three fish. <laughs> it's actually three species. Um, and that one of them is threatened in both Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, and so if you can't get there, right. Um, then how are you going to get some interest? Right. Um, and how are you going to get, uh, that? And so like, that's really the first step. And that's why we push this no junk fish bill is that, you know, we can have a category of fish that, um, allows harvest. Right. And also isn't derogatory. Um, you know, because this is not about taking anything away from anybody. I'm a hunter, right? Um, I hunt grouse and elk and deer and um, squirrels and rabbits. Um, I kill and eat fish. This isn't about taking stuff away from people. Um, this is about, you know, us bringing our hunting ethics to fishing because we want to keep doing this. Um I don't think anybody is like, you know what I'd love? I'd love to get the last one. <laughs> um, we want, we all want this to be sustainable. Unless right? we're talking big head carp. Right. Which I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of the things that like um, invasive fish love an empty lake. They love an ecosystem that's blank. Um, so big head carp, silver carp, they compete directly with big mouth buffalo. They both eat plankton. They both filter feed. Um, I think I sent you guys the the paper where they went over lab experience experiments, pond experiments, and they showed that there's this competition there. We could be managing like the Mississippi River ecosystem. We could be managing that for resiliency, right? Like 
if we had more big mouth buffalo, there'd be less plankton left over for big head and silver carp. Um, gar numbers actually increase after uh, invasion by the invasive carp uh, because they're open water predators that can eat the fry in the open water where these fish cruise around in the open, right? Um, they don't they don't like going over by structure where bass ambush them. So gar numbers actually will increase after an invasion. Man, if gar are eating these things, <laughs> what if we had more gar before they arrived? Um, that's ecosystem resilience. That doesn't mean that you can't harvest some, you know, it just means maybe we shouldn't harvest all of them. Sure. Makes sense. You know, selective yeah. harvest. Yeah. It's, it's a resource. Um, but the, you know, since they put this stuff into law, they've been managing a lot of these native fish like they're a problem. Um, and they're not actually a problem. Um, they're a resource. Yeah. Do they get looped, do they get looped into it because um, you know the silver carp? But like you were talking about the jumping or flying carp, whatever he calls them. Is it because everybody hears the carp at the end of that name and associate all of carp and all of rough fish with that? Is I that think, part of the problem? I think so. I also think that there is absolutely there's a, a thing where invasive species education is really good, um, and it needs to be right. But I think we also need to have some native fish, you know, um, education as well. Uh, I've talked to people now, you know, it used to be that people would tell me that like Buffalo were, were, were some sort of carp or, you know, something like that now with like the snakehead news, now I'm hearing it about bowfin. And I'm like, that was a new, like, that's a new thing, but they have a vague resemblance. You know, they're both tubular. They're both primitive looking, you know? Um, and so, then you hear that hear it about bowfin and then like the rumor mill starts going and let's face it like we all had an uncle right who told us that like bullheads could survive being frozen and you know um all sorts of fish lore and um my uncles were not ichthyologists it turns out um in hindsight everything they told me was wrong (laughs) (laughs) Um, they they had their way of doing things and they meant well. They meant um, well, or at least they thought they did. Right. And so, you know, it's like a lot of the stuff maybe changed, and they didn't actually, you know, like they didn't do the messaging, right? Like the Minnesota DNR stopped doing fish removals, like the 1980, native fish removals, like in the 1980s. They did an experiment where they, like, tried taking suckers out of, out of a lake. They're like, this lake's got too many. So they took a bunch of suckers out of the lake. Well, what do you know? The perch population increased. Hey, that's a success, right? The perch population increased so much that it suppressed the walleye reproduction and the whole lake was out of balance and then it was full of stunted perch. And they were kicking themselves that they took the suckers out. Yeah, you took the leg off of one chair, you know, the one side of the chair, it's going to fall over. Right. It's, everything's balanced out for a reason. And so it's not, it's not like... Um, it's not as simple as pulling weeds in our garden, right? Like there's the habitat impacts where um, they, you know, maybe move sediment and, and change the habitat with their, the way they eat Um, bass and a lot of fish, they'll follow suckers around. One study I read, they said that there was diet overlap between red horse and bass, but then pointed out it was because the red horse were making food available to the bass that they couldn't have gotten themselves. Right. So, right. So it's, (laughs) um, it's like it's not at that point. It's not 
competition, the bass is actually like a kleptoparasite. It's like stealing food from the red horse. Um, they're benefiting. And then they get to eat the young red horse after they spawn. Um, so the best red horse rivers I fish also have like gigantic smallmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have to go find a bait that will keep off a smallmouth so that I can catch the 10 pound sucker that's next to it. Um, you wouldn't believe how many worms I go through. And I'm just like, and the small as they always shake their head. And then your worm goes flying. Yep. Now you get, it's like, <laughs> I literally four dozen worms just for like a day, like wet waiting. Um, it's crazy, but you can see it. You can see it in action. Um, you know, and it's like, I just want to catch that 10 pounder, you know? Um, but it, it's so much more complex than that. Right. And then you have things where the, uh, on Lake Michigan, they've studied, there's a great researcher there. She studied the amount of nutrients that longnose suckers bring upstream, right? We all know for like on the Pacific Northwest that salmon feed these rivers. Well, longnose suckers out of the Great Lakes are doing the same thing. They don't die every time, but they're moving nutrients upstream in these clear, uh, clear water, cold streams. They're actually all, they're laying so many eggs and stuff that they're actually fertilizing the stream and increasing its productivity. So there's, then there's more trout and salmon smolts are able to be, to make it back out to the lake at a larger size. So, um, we don't necessarily, when you're, when you're thinking about like a carrying capacity, you, uh, sort of thing, like a, you know, a pie, but when you actually add more species into an aquatic environment, you can actually make that pie bigger. Each, each species is able to fill a niche that m- actually another fish might miss. Um, freshwater drum eat so many zebra mussels in some places half their diet is zebra mussels that's food that's not available to game fish right so you just made the pie bigger by moving those zebra mussels into fish protein um and then also because they eat so many mussels a lot of freshwater mussels count on that to reproduce their larvae are parasitic and so they need to be eaten by a freshwater drum so that their larva can attach to the freshwater drum's gills. So 11 species of, of freshwater mussels depend on drum for the reproduction. And if you've ever fished a river, you know mussel beds are fantastic habitat for everything. There's so much life around those mussel beds. Well, uh, in Minnesota, um, well, drum eggs float. And in Minnesota, they did a study. They looked at fish above and below dams. 60% of the dams they looked at didn't have freshwater drum above them. Now you've lost the mussels too, because they lay their eggs and they float over the dam. Hmm. So that, you know, that's a species we're all, I mean, who's not a little bit tired of catching drum, right? Even I'm a little bit tired of catching drum sometimes. Um, but you also then have to be like, okay, so there's a lot of drum here where I'm fishing today, <laughs> but then keep in mind, that's actually not everywhere. Right. And that, even a species that we think of as ubiquitous and maybe almost in, you know, a lot of them, you know, to the point where you're like, I wish I could find a bait that would keep these off, but they're doing their job and they're not everywhere. Right. So maybe we shouldn't totally take them for granted um, when we actually want them to eat our zebra mussels and we want them to like help our freshwater mussels, our native mussels reproduce. Um, There's other species like the, the moon eye and gold eye, Gold eye are threatened species in Wisconsin, uh, not Minnesota. So gold eye protections only go to the middle of the St. Croix River. Um, 
So make sure if you do get one, you may have to stay on the other side of the river. Uh, Because if you cross back over with an illegally caught fish, it's a federal crime. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know how they would enforce that, but it is a violation of the Lacey Act. If you illegally take a a game animal, a fish in one side at state and transport to the other, um, it would be nice if the states could work it out so that you could (laughs) drive your boat back and forth. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the... uh, those are host to a federally endangered mussel. Um, there's only three populations of the spectacle-based mussel in the entire country. Um, and the fish they depend on to reproduce uh, is not protected, um, you know, and is not everywhere it should be, as evidenced by the fact that it's a threatened species in Wisconsin. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that pays to do your homework. And when you start digging into it, it's like, there's a lot of, you know, you have all these different native fish. There's a lot of stuff to learn. There's a lot of nuances. And I think it's super fun, too, because there's, you know, uh, there's still so much to learn that even if you're just an angler, you know, you can uh, email a scientist and you might uh, be able to help out with some research because, you know, they need some specimens. And, you know, there's still so much to learn. There's a lot of opportunities. So well, I think it's cool. Like I go out like Michigan fishing. And I'll bring back a cooler full of fish, you know, might be mostly silverfish. I might get a lake or whatever. But a couple times a year, I'll run into a, a biologist at the at the fish cleaning station, and they'll always ask, hey, can we take the head of your fish? Mm-hmm. I always let them take whatever they want because I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need it. You know, I don't need all of it. I'm just there taking the fillets. I had my fun with it. You let got the them. cheeks though, right? I didn't know. They usually end up cutting in there. Yeah. So they they take the whole thing. All in the name of science. All in the name of science. <laughs> this uh, spring I went down to the uh, roughfish.com roundup. We always do a, uh, a sucker ball feed and fry down there. We had Alec Lackman uh, down. He's the, uh, the researcher who discovered buffalo can live to be over 100 years old. And we had him down. We cleaned uh, Golden Red Horse. Um, but we had to do it without the heads on because he, he had to get all of his measurements and stuff. Then he took the heads off. And I'm like, this is the first time I've ever filleted a fish without a head on it. Nowhere to grab. <laughs> <laughs> no, not much to grab onto there. But if we go and do that. We go and do that every year. And, you know, uh, we're curious. Uh, we're, we're real curious to see what his results are as far as, you know, how old those fish are. And uh, former world record came out of that spot. So, um you know, it's we're kind of curious if uh, how long it takes to to grow a fish that big. So, um, that's the that's the thing. There's there's still this stuff to learn, and um, it's just we keep opening these boxes, and they they've started doing telemetry studies up on the Red River. Big mouth buffalo migrate 150 miles. It's like that's, I didn't. That's like that's like salmon. You know, yeah, salmon do that yeah. huge migration. As much as I knew about buffalo, I didn't realize they had that long of migrations. Um, blue suckers are probably the record holder um, in for freshwater. They've been documented migrating up to like 300 miles, I think. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's a fish. They used to call them sweet suckers. They used to migrate up the Mississippi in huge numbers, and they were a big commercial uh, big commercial species. They, um, they apparently taste better than others. They're called sweet suckers for a reason. Um, now they're threatened across their entire range. Um, those long migrations don't work well with dams. So, hmm. I 
That's one thing I've never eaten was a quote unquote sweet sucker. When we would catch them, uh, we would usually throw the red horse back. Dad didn't like cleaning them because they were always so bony. Um, but uh, brown sucker, black sucker, white suckers, those ones we would keep. We would, uh, I would gut them and gill them, and I would, uh, we'd brine them, and Dad would smoke them. Mm-hmm. And they were very firm, and they were very good meat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we even smoked a couple of uh, northern pike once just for the heck of it because they were bigger and didn't want to mess with the bones. And I likened them to the firmness of that. It was very mm-hmm. firm meat. Um, we tried common carp; those were awful. They were they were real real mushy. Buffalo mm-hmm. were a bit firmer. They were whiter, definitely mm-hmm. whiter, cleaner looking meat. Nice looking meat. Um, they were okay eating, but I. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to eat one, I think it's going to be a sucker for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, I do fish sticks out of uh, Red Horse a lot because um, I the white suckers tend to be a lake fish and maybe smaller rivers, creeks, um, mid-sized stuff. Um, Mississippi will catch a couple a year um, out of hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but we get a lot of shorthead red horses. What we is our bread and butter. Sometimes we get a silver red horse in there. Um, don't have as many of those in that section, so we usually yet let those go there. Um, those are get bigger, twenty five inches or so. Um, whereas the shortheads top out at about twenty one. Uh, but those seventeen to twenty one inches, you can get you can get a lot of meat off of them. They have a short head, so out of that twenty one inches, there's a longer fillet, um, and you get uh, get a quite a quite a bit of meat off of those and uh, a little hand crank meat grinder. And uh, I'll tell you, everybody loves those. They're like, everyone tells me I need a, a state fair stand. Uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, see up sucker balls on a stick. Sucker balls. <laughs> Any meat on a stick belongs at a state fair. Just saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh rolling in like some panko breadcrumbs and, mm. and fries are a little crispy. Mm, they're they're so good. So, yeah. Now I'm get, starting to get a little hungry, and fish sticks don't sound like a bad snack right now. Mm-mm. No, they're <laughs> way better than you remember in the cafeteria. Oh man, better than, it's better kind than of a fun thing camps. too because everyone's like fish sticks, and you're like, trust me, like they're like <laughs> elevated. These are elevated, and then they ask me what's in here. I'm like, ah, well, there's like a golden red horse, and there's a short head, and then there's a a buffalo, and uh, it's like someday I'm just you know, it's like. It's like what? <laughs> it's a river blend. Uh, <laughs> river blend. Tyler's winter blend. Tyler Winter's river blend. There you yeah. go. That's a in the winter we do the same thing with pike. It's like I used to. I used to do a five fillet deep yeah. bone pike thing, and it's like, yeah. And the you know now we just make fish sticks in the winter. You know, if you can't get suckers, then you just sub in pike. Pike are a good substitute. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to keep that in mind for ice fishing for sure. Yeah, never I mean, thought I'd do it like that. Otherwise, we pickle them. You know, mm-hmm. pickled pickled mm-hmm. pike is real good. I need your pickled pike recipe because I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing pickled uh, red horse and doing those for for Christmas presents. I think so. I had an aunt that would that would pickle red horse. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'd bring some home and she'd find out that I caught some and and you know gave them to somebody else and she would get mad at me. <laughs> yeah, well, I could pickle those, you know, but mm-hmm. you know the. It was probably the old school mentality too, where they ate whatever they caught and you know, and, and kept. So I was reading um, little, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie. Right, um, one of the ver- one of the stories on the banks of Plum Creek. 
she tells the story of her dad building a fish trap and getting buffalo. And like, they were happy because they had something to eat, right? And the fact is, there was a time when there was not a rough and game divide, right? There was a time when people ate fish because they were hungry, right? right? And it wasn't until the, the traces back to about like the 1900, between 1900 and 1920, water pollution was really bad, particularly in the cities, right? And there was a group of people who was affluent and they started taking vacations and they started taking fishing vacations. And the railroads would stock fish at the end of the line up in northern Wisconsin, up north, you know, in the mountains, right? And people started, if you had money, you took a fishing vacation because you weren't going to go fish in the same place your sewage went, right? Right. If you didn't have money, you still fished for food. (laughs) And you couldn't get a train ticket. So guess what? You went down to the river, right? And that thing, right, like is still – a thing where people often tell me how far they drive and people always tell you, and we both, we all know this, right? Everybody always tells you what kind of fisherman they are. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a certain, you know, at the time and there in the 1950s, sixties, there were writers, outdoor writers who just literally laid out, right. That salmon were like the king of fish and trout were aristocratic and bass were a blue-collar fish. And catfish were a fish of poor people. And then that suckers or anything else that its mouth turned towards the bottom was, like, even worse. Right? And they just laid that out. Like, they just said it, like, you know, in, in you know poetic prose and published it in an outdoor magazine. And the fact of the matter is, that's not necessarily why people fish anymore right (laughs) that's not how really who we want to be as a community um and more and more people are just waking up uh joe cermelli from uh the cut and retire podcast and he just had a video coming out talk about discovering bowfin right it's like well i go catch and release for this why don't i go catch and release for dinosaurs it's like yeah not if if anybody's ever caught one, they fight like mad and right. and they can get pretty long, pretty heavy, and they're very aggressive. You can throw any any bass bait and they'll eat it. Yeah. Although I, I was fishing for them. I was on uh I was in vacation in Wisconsin and I, I was trying to sight fish to one and uh it would not hit my tube jig. Isn't that it something? Would, as soon just... as they see you throwing something at them, they go, No, I'm I'm good right here. <laughs> and they'll watch it swim right by them. You can hit them in the face with it, and they just, nah, we're good. I got, uh, I went out to the spot in, in the dark, and I caught um, a walleye on a piece of cut bait. And I went to the other side of the road, and I caught a bowfin on a piece of cut bait. And both of them basically did, like, the same thing, where they kind of sat there, and it was like they could, I could see them sniffing it. And then, like they eventually were like, well, I might as well eat it if it's not going to move, right? <laughs> but it was almost exactly the same behavior. <laughs> Imagine that. The walleye, actually, I missed the hook set the first time, and that very smart, very difficult to catch game fish came back and ate it again. He, he was hungry <laughs> enough then. Yeah, once he, get, once he realized it was fish, he was like, well, it didn't hurt when it disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> so it so, came back and it came back and munched on it. I'm like, you're really clever. Uh, <laughs> it was like, like, 
it's it's one of those things like I, I don't know. Um I think if you are open to those possibilities, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of times it's close to home, right? These are um there's a lot of diversity as we touched on of all these native fish of, of there's suckers, there's freshwater drum, there's bowfin, there's buffalo, there's gar. Um, you know, there's a lot moon eyes and gold eyes. And there's a, that's a huge range of biology, like fish diversity wise. Um, they have a couple things in common. Um, they mostly inhabit shallow water. Um, in Minnesota, the, the only, <laughs> they, Eel pout used to be rough. They moved it to the game category, uh, lake herring and lake whitefish. Those were cold water and deep water species. Those moved over to the game fish. So now all the ones in Minnesota that are left as rough in statute um, are fish that live in warm water and, and relatively shallow water. Um, and so you can, I can find them close to home. Um, I can find them in streams where I don't need waders in the summer. Um I can see them when I fish for them, which is super fun because they're less aggressive than game fish most of the time, especially the suckers. And so sometimes they won't bite a worm. <clears throat> and for me, that keeps me coming back. I love a fish that doesn't eat. Like that just gets in my, it gets under my skin. And then I'm like, well, now I got to figure it out. Have, have you, so what actually got me interested into carp fishing, this was, this was years ago, um, generalizing carp fishing, um, but what I saw a video out east, there's like some big zicada hatch every seven years, and there's anglers by the droves go out there and try mm-hmm. to catch them on the fly. And I thought yeah. that was the coolest thing in the world, seeing these, I believe they were common carp, correct? Probably. But they were they would actually come to the surface and mm-hmm. eat stuff off the surface when those, I think there were cicadas or whatever this big mm-hmm. hatch was. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. So used to throw in a piece of corn and a worm, and mm-hmm. these guys are like, physically targeting certain fish with their flies yeah because you can see which ones have a bigger mouth and that was my gateway that was my gateway into it too i i grew up in southern minnesota um my fishing opportunity was a drainage ditch um my family hunted a lot but we didn't really fish so i went to the drainage ditch and i taught myself to fish um and that you know was the beginning for me of a lifelong passion yeah i went to college and took all the fish and water classes and bug classes I could. And, you know, uh, that just opened my eyes to all the other fish that were out there that I wasn't finding in the drainage ditch. And, um, you know, then it's been like, uh, opportunity to, to catch these things and, and learn their habits. And I, I love to fish. I get to fish with my kids a lot. Um, because we fish from the shore because we fish, uh, they don't have to like, uh, sling uh, a, a heavy rod and, you know, uh, try to work topwaters through the weeds all day. Um, my kids are pretty lazy fishermen. They just reel fish up, basically. Um, you know, it's like kind of spoiled. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it, it, that's part of being an okayest fisher person is, uh, you know, you well, go out with your, your bucket of worms, a simple rod and reel with a mm-hmm. sinker and a hook and, you go catch fish. It yeah. Doesn't... And in Minnesota, we only get one line per person. So you basically have to have kids. I mean, Fair enough. Yeah. But no, and that's the, you know, the, the thing to it is like, you can make it as simple or as complicated as you want. And um, you, if you get to fish close to home and appreciate what you've got, then uh, you've got more opportunities. Sure. Um, you know, and then, I kind of figure too, if everybody fishes in their backyard, then every backyard will have somebody kind of looking out for it, you know? Um, 
because we want to leave this place better than we found it for our kids. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to end up with a, a lake that doesn't have suckers, walleyes, or pike in it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and full of carp and and maybe you know the other fish that kind of replaced them. No fish is ever replaceable, in you know, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have their place, but they they get you know kind of nudged out for something else. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly that's exactly it. Um, and we. Uh, it's so much simpler, you know, from a fisheries management point of view, um, to just, you know, ha- let the fish that thrive in a place thrive there. Um, a lot of effort has been spent because of that culture of um, trying, of saying, of thinking that the end of the railroad line where the trout were stocked is the better place. A lot of effort's been s- spent um, trying to make more places like that. <laughs> And it doesn't work very well, you know. Um, the there was they've been doing experiments in Wisconsin where they're um, trying to. They did an experiment where they tried to help walleyes by removing every sunfish in a small lake, and they removed an intensive amount of of sunfish. This made the news, and what they found was that they really didn't get like the walleye still didn't reproduce. Walleye reproduction wasn't being hampered by competition with sunfish. Um, and they like the walleye fishing wasn't better, but they sent, oh, it was like 200,000. Like they must've counted every little like fry of sunfish. Right. But they, they spent years removing sunfish from this lake as an experiment. And what they ended up with was fewer fish. Imagine that <laughs> you were taking away some of the food chain. <laughs> Right. And it's like, um, that's a crazy, like, that is a radical conclusion. The history of fisheries management was often about taking fish out. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, when you measure, <laughs> you find out that what you get is fewer fish. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, you, you, you make the pie smaller. You know, we, we try, you're trying to make the pie bigger. We're making the pie smaller. Right. So it's like, well, I mean, like maybe it's, it's maybe it's never going to be a banger walleye lake, even if you send however many crews of people out there and try to remove all the competition. Like um, it's one of those things too. you know, walleyes, rainbow trout, they're really, really well studied fish. We also just have to accept there are some mysteries here. You know, walleye stocking doesn't always work and we don't always know why. Right. Um, and so I think it behooves us um, to have a little humility, you know, um, and like give grace to the managers and, and whatever and be like, hey, you know, like this is not this is not a jigsaw puzzle. Um, and the best we can do is um, appreciate what we've got. Let that thrive. You know, like my section of the Mississippi River. I catch like a walleye a year, catch a lot of smallmouth bass, you know, um, I'm not calling anybody. I don't think walleye stocking is going to help there. Um, you know, it's a bass river. Yeah. Just the way it lays out and the kind of, uh, kind of habitat and forage it has. That's just yeah. where it excels and smallmouth bass. God, we love them, but they can, they can take over a body of water pretty quick too. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the yep. Western reservoirs are loaded with them and, they're not native to some of those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And native fish for tomorrow, we're obviously not, you know, we're for native fish. We're not opposed to, you know, like we're a 
support like we're a positive organization, right? The only thing we're against is is fish being wasted. Um, you harvest, you want to harvest a native fish, you know, there's a recipe. Um, so we just, you know, appreciate what you've got, treat it like a resource. Um, you know, if you're if you're wondering, you know, if like whatever, you know, if you bring your same ethics you bring to the squirrel woods out to the to the river, you you know, you're going to be do you're not going to do anything wrong. Exactly. Hey, I do have one follow-up, and it may not really be a short answer. What's the future of that no-junk fish bill? What are they – like, where, where do you see it going? Is there, is there stuff in the works already? Um, I know we kind of started off talking about that. Thanks for asking. Um, so the Minnesota DNR has convened a stakeholder work group. Um, I They're getting opinions from – from people um, and they're putting us all in a room together um, and we're hashing it out and that's going to help this report. I said earlier that um, this isn't about taking anything away from anybody. And I want to reiterate that. And I can give an example of, you know, how the, the DNR, you know, can parse these things. So Lake Herring moved from rough fish to game fish. And when they did this transition, they made sure that spearing lake whitefish was still allowed because there's, you know, people get that while they're spearing pike. They forgot lake herring, right? And apparently they got a couple letters from people who said, you, you made it illegal for me to spear lake herring. And so they fixed that this session and they added that back in, right? Um, and so there's going to be, there's going to basically has to be because we've already, we talked about how <laughs> there's these disconnects about what's native and what's invasive and where the things don't match up. There's going to be a new framework, right? Um, I don't know exactly what that's going to be like. I'm one member of the, the stakeholder group, but I do know that the stakeholder group and the DNR doesn't want to take away anything, right? Um, I see a role for everybody who wants to harvest native fish to be a stakeholder and to be a conservationist for native fish. Um, and so to, if you're going to, you know, have consumptive conservation, you got to have harvest. You, you got to give people an opportunity to put their hands on these fish and to seed them as a resource. Absolutely. I don't want these fish to be spotted owls. Right. right. <laughs> like that history, like we're smart enough not to repeat that history. Right. Um, we can acknowledge that, you know, some of these fish are th- literally threatened, you know, and we're not going to be able to allow harvest for every one of them, but we don't want to create a structure that then prevents all harvest for everything. Right. And then you got people who are gonna, just going to hate the damn things. Well, that's what I'm trying to avoid. What's well, interesting. And it's, it's all government too. So it's going to take years and years and years. Um, so, I mean, this is basically the first step, the foot in the door, the foot in the right direction to, uh, you know, kind of getting to where it's got to be. Yep. And that's the, you know, um, because we can't have scientific management of native and invasive species into the same category. You know, we can create an invasive species category and a native fish category, and we can have regulations that, um, you know, like they just legalized in Minnesota, they legalized um, dumping carp. Um, they, I, I may have been the person who noticed I can't prove that, um, but I did ask the question, you know, because I'm reading all the rules, and I'm like, huh, um, 
according to this, carp are a protected wild animal. And according to this, uh, you may not destroy a protected wild animal. Why is that applied to carp? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This year they changed that. Um, Now it says you may not wantonly waste or destroy a usable part of a protected wild animal bullet point except common carp <laughs> perfect <laughs> um because it didn't make sense to have that you know apply to an invasive species there's so many of those sort of things i mean um the term rough fish in minnesota statute even comes up with like how bridges are designed in culverts um because if a, a culvert only blocks rough fish then it doesn't have to um be modified right so i was told that this term comes up like 70 different times and then there's like a commercial category there's a bait category there's the rough fish category there's a prohibited invasive species category there's a regulated invasive species category um some of these fish move back and forth in between them um so it's According to the regulations, just to show how crazy this is, um, a gold eye that is seven inches long and swims from Minnesota to Wisconsin can simultaneously be a rough fish, a minnow, and a threatened species. Yeah, kudos to that fish. Right? (laughs) Um, Oh, and it's a commercial species, too. Um, And so there's a lot of nuances, and that's part of why, like, it is going to take time. but it's not going to be um, we can make these changes so that we can like have rules that allow native fish passage. So that the suckers in your lake have a chance to get to their spawning habitat. Um, and we can also then say, Hey, but we we're going to have a rule that allows us to put a barrier because um, we have invasive carp coming. Right. Um, because we want to block those, but we also want to find space so that blue suckers can still have their migration. Um, that's a nuance that has not happened before. And we understand these sort of things like um, with birds and mammals and things like that, that, you know, um, nobody's accusing chickadees of competing with their grouse. Um, like we can do the same stuff for, we can do the same logic with fish. Absolutely. Well, that's a lot of information we just covered. We didn't even talk about how to catch them. No, we didn't. And I think we need to kind of revisit that. And unfortunately, we're kind of starting to run low on time. But do you have an OKS Fisher moment you could share with us? I do. I do. I mean, I've got a lot of them. Um, But there's one that's burned into my memory. Um, I was filming, uh, B-side fishing with Joe Cermelli and, uh, I actually got an endangered and threatened species permit from the state of Wisconsin to catch and release these fish. Um, and so we were in Wisconsin and I was a camera rolling and I've got to get a river red horse for the show. And I sneak up and I see four river red horse, big as my leg, 30 inch long, you know, 12 pound you know, big round once. And I whiffed every hook set, every single one. And then I let it, let one chew on the bait because I'm like, I'm not going to miss another hook set. And then I saw it spit the bait back out. 
and I never got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty okay. Yeah. And, and I was, well, people I'm, listen to this going, well, how can you miss a sucker? <laughs> it's very possible. Yeah. I've done plenty of it. Oh my God. Oh, it was, it was so painful. And it was just like, I, and I was like, I got, last time I caught, came here, I caught eight. Okay. I've got photos to prove it. Like I got you to come all the way out here to Minnesota, Wisconsin to see these big fish. And I'm just like, just like pleading. Like, I swear, <laughs> I swear I know what I'm doing. The fish didn't get the show notes for that one. Oh, he got one though. So we still made the show, but I was like, Oh my God. I was like, that was that was painful. The that is seared into my memory is like the the biggest okay moment of like I got this far and then I can't get a hook set. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. Everybody, thank you for uh, tuning in, checking us out. Give us hey. a review. Yeah, go catch a fish. Go catch a fish, Matt. What do exactly. you got to add? Anything. I- you guys all said it so perfectly. Okay. Well, <laughs> enjoy the music. Take a listen.